Homecoming listeners, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Homecoming Podcast, which provides the space for people who identify as Asian, Asian American, and Pacific Islander to share their stories, experiences, and insights about a variety of different topics. This episode is part two of my conversation with Hawaiian filmmaker and visual storyteller Conrad Lihilihi. And if you haven't listened to part one about Conrad's life and career and the issues with the term AAPI or Asian American Pacific Islander, I encourage you all to do that. I released it two weeks before this episode. But in part two today, Conrad talks about his new four-part docuseries, Language of a Nation, which is about um, the 1896 Hawaiian language ban and the history of uh Hawaiian language and the the Hawaiian kingdom that he directed and worked on with the Smithsonian Institute. And side note, I put the link uh, to the doc along with some of other uh, Conrad's other work in the episode description so you can watch it. Um, And you should definitely check it out. It's super amazing. Um, And one one other thing, I will also be making a... um, I was going to say big announcement. It's not really that big. It's an announcement, though, um, about changing the labeling of my podcast um, from AAPI. And, you know, I I talked a little bit about this in part one, um, about my sort of issues with the term AAPI and how Homecoming was supposedly for AAPI storytelling. Um, But yeah, definitely stick around to hear what change I'm planning on making. But Conrad will be diving right into explaining the process of creating his amazing docuseries. So let's get to it. Okay. Um, yeah. So Conrad, I think now we can move on to talking about your new docuseries, Language of a Nation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will definitely put a link in the episode description so people can watch it. Um, but your docuseries really goes in depth into a lot of aspects of the Hawaiian kingdom and Hawaiian language and the Hawaiian language ban back in 1896. Um, and I, I watched the docuseries, like it's, it's really great, really amazing. Um, really encourage the listeners to listen, uh, to watch it. Um, but would you be able to just describe the creative process and experience of creating this docuseries? Um, also, how slash why you started working on it, responses you've received to it, um, a more in-depth summary if you if you want to give that, and really just like anything you want, like just feel free to say anything about the docuseries that you want. Yeah, and so with, like with all of those other projects trying to just build my name as uh, you know, a filmmaker and a Pacific Islander filmmaker, and even going back, tying this back to um, the article that I wrote. So when the article came out, a couple months after that, uh, Pacific Islander curator for the Smithsonian, Kaleva Korea, he uh, reached out to me, he found the article, and he reached out to me and he, he, he saw that, you know, Native Hawaiian filmmaker in, in LA making films, teaching filmmaking at Occidental College during the summer. And I I just wrote that article and um, he was trying to connect with other Native Hawaiian filmmakers. And he found that I was pretty much one of the only ones up in LA working and not only working, but in the education space. And so he had accumulated these these, um, grants uh, while at, while he, you know being at the Smithsonian, he accumulated all these grants and he wants to use them uh, towards media, uh, towards the south, towards the Pacific. So and again, this is Kaleva, this Smithsonian contact. He he's the one doing all the research. He's the one I get all the numbers from in terms of uh, the representation in the of Pacific Islanders in the organizations. Like that's that's all his space. He's he's that numbers guy. He loves to find all that and dig and collect all of that information. And so in that, and he's been outwardly expressive on how uh, uh, difficult it is to get even organizations like APAC and the Smithsonian to care about Pacific Islander stories because he's, there's no Pacific Islander 
Pacific Islanders on the board of APAC, and he's the only Pacific Islander connect for Smithsonian. So he's he's found roadblocks going through those organizations. So he's specifically wanting to utilize the grants that he's accumulated to help um, programs in the South Pacific in terms of media and storytelling and education within the creative space. And so when he found me, we just started to, you know, talk story and we found that a lot of our goals kind of align. Like me, after doing the program at Occidental College, I found it's, it's it's a great program. Like I wish I had a program like that when I was in high school. And just a, like a brief breakdown of how the program works is like it's a worldwide, worldwide program for high school kids. So we are, our students are international and they room and board at the Occidental College. We give them a food card and for like the, for the two week program, they stay in the, in the dorms, room and board. We take care of all the equipment, all they could uh, pick whether they want to do filmmaking, acting, uh, music, uh, photography, and they stay with their discipline for the whole two weeks. And they just eat, breathe, and live that discipline from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And all, their, all of our, the teachers, all of us teachers, we work throughout the rest of the year, so they're all being taught by actual professionals. And so, but to see and be there for that support, knowing how little support I had growing up and then being there because we, we push them hard. Like all the actors act in all of the, the films for the kids. So all the filmmaking kids get to write, direct and edit a film of the one week, one film a week. Like they all get to edit their own film. So they're all coming out with crazy portfolios. The actors act in the filmmakers films, the photographers take headshots for the dancers and the the uh, actors, the musicians are going into professional recording studios and they're writing a song every day and going into professional recording studios to get it maxed and mixed, um, ma- mastered and mixed. So it's like a great program for these kids. And I'm like, oh man, if Hawaii had this, like, it'd be crazy. Like we had, in my five years there, we had three Hawaii kids. And act, two filmmakers and an actor. And they were, all three of them were the top of their class. And so I was just like, oh my God, like, Hawaii needs this. Like, storytelling is in, like, the culture. I mean, there's no, Hawaiian, there's no written language. Like, it, we, we talk about it in the documentary in terms of literacy. There's no written language. Everything was passed down through song and dance, you know? So everything was passed down through story. Like we have an expression when what we're doing right now, we're talking story. This is what we say in Hawaii. Oh, you want to talk story? Oh, we're just talking story. Like stories in our culture. So film was only, or if is only the natural next generation of that medium to me. And uh, because growing up in Hawaii, because the industry, LA is so far removed, like I remember the like the mentality is so and this was like at the beginning of the internet no YouTube so you know there's like a disconnect of like the only thing you see is what's on TV in the movie theater and we're not there we don't do that they do that whoever they is they do that the most famous person I know is the the local radio DJ (laughs) you know, in Hawaii or the the news anchor. Those are the two most famous people on in Hawaii. You know what I mean? So there was there's no like especially when I moved to LA and you see how many spoiled kids grow up in LA, like around Hollywood, thinking that this is normal and just being like, Yeah, I'm gonna be rich and famous. Look at the Kardashians. But then seeing knowing how many talented ass kids are in Hawaii who just give up because you know, gotta grow up sometime, gotta join the military, gotta dance for the tourists. And their creative career, no matter how brilliant, is just cut off because that's just not, nobody's ever done that. Like, so I, I knew that 
time. I mean, I, that was that one thing was a drive for me definitely when it got hard in LA, knowing that I wasn't, I don't, not not knowing what I'd go back home to, because there not being any entertainment industry, but also like knowing that if I made it, like oh man, that hopefully that would make it easier for like the next island kid to be like hey, you know this uh guy came from like a small like place in Hawaii but uh I was I've been working for years on trying to bring a program like that to Hawaii <laughs> so uh when the Smithsonian guy hits me up and we're, we start talking and we kind of start talking about these programs and he's got you know the money and he's got these schools that are already looking for somebody to come and teach um he invited me to do uh, a, a workshop um, at, at a Hawaiian immersion school on the Big Island called Kanuoka Aina. This was back in 2017, I want to say, 2016 maybe, around that. And so uh, I went there, and there were a number. There was a painter. There was a woman who did. Um, a podcast. So there, there are different disciplines in terms of mediums that we were teaching the kids and everybody had their own workshop day. And so I had two days with the freshmen and sophomores. And uh, I kind of did like a, a, a compact version of what I usually do in a week. I did it in two days. So it was like really fast. You know, we got GoPros in their hands. So it was easy for us to kind of do that just because the kids are familiar with GoPros. It's one button press and words. But, you know, I talked to them about like structure and how sets work and all this and that. So they were like working together and it was cool to see them work like that. And even afterwards, they were, they would come to me and like just trip out at, oh, I've never had to work with people that way. Because the thing about film, if you've ever been on a film set, especially if you're directing, or if you're working with a director, it's kind of like a pretty much when you're directing. So a lot of the kids who are directing would say that because when you're directing, it's it's an exercise of communication in that you have your vision of what you want the finished shot to look like, but now you have to communicate that to your cameraman, your makeup artist, your you know you got to commun somehow communicate well enough for this abstract picture to become a reality. And even on the basis of like, stand here, walk here, face here, camera's gonna move around. I want you to go over there, point the light there. You know, so it's just all these different elements. And so it was cool to see the kids for the first time embrace that and just be like, oh my God, I've never had to communicate with somebody like this before. And um, and and just the, the, the fun in, you know, watching something that you've made with all your friends for the first time. I think like that's always, that was always my favorite part in the program was the screening nights. When after editing with the filmmakers for 12 hours and they hate their, watching their films and we've critiqued them in class so they know what's wrong and what they could have done. But then we get the whole camp together and we screen it in front of everybody with the actors and the actors see it for the first time and the directors see it with an audience for the first time like that and and then they they're like this is what i want to do for the rest of my life like we me and the smithsonian guy was like okay we need to give that option to kids in the island and so um we did that program and while i was there on the program we were just kind of uh talking story about what what other projects can we do you know, okay, now that we got this connection, he knows who I am, I'm doing what I'm doing in LA, he's doing what he's doing with the Smithsonian, we've infiltrated our industries, pretty much, you know, these, these two Pacific Islanders have infiltrated their industries and are trying to, you know, uh, figure out a way to make it easier for other Pacific Islander voices to be heard. Uh, he was like, what's the next project? Or I was like, what's the next project? Let's do it, I'm ready. And then he goes, uh, why don't you do something about the language? Uh, I was like, yeah, okay. Like, we don't speak it. We don't, I like, Hawaiian history is very, you know, 
it's not that well taught. Like we learn it, but you don't really know too much. So I was like, okay, yeah, no, I, I could, you know, do something in terms of why Hawaiians don't speak Hawaiian in 20, at the time, 2018. So it's like, okay, cool. That's the next project. Let's do, we, we finish, we finish everything on the big island. I fly back to LA and then I start doing more research and I start thinking, uh, oh, he, he sends me some, uh, after we decide on that project, he sends me some example videos of like, oh yeah, we've contracted out to independent filmmakers, you know, videos to do like this before. Here are some examples. And they're all like, you know, simple concept, five minute videos. And I was just like, ah, yeah, I could totally do that. You know, easy, easy assignment, we'll get it out there. You know, easy money, <laughs> you know. And then uh, the more I thought of it, I was like, you want me to unpackage uh, why Hawaiians don't speak Hawaiian? Like the history, the culture, the, the, the colonization. You want me to unpackage that in five minutes? Like, I don't, I... <laughs> I don't know how to, like, I don't know. I don't know, <laughs> you know? And then so the, um, the only thing at the time I could think of, and I remember this was all during, going on during the camp. I was like having to teach the kids and run my classes. And then I'm like researching. I'm like trying to figure out how do I do this? And then so my, um, my initial ideal was uh, I, had, uh, I had reached out to a spoken word, a Hawaiian spoken word artist. And she had she was big and you know she had a name for herself and this and that and so you know uh i reached out and she, she was going to do it we were, we we're going to do a good spoken word and i was thinking like okay we'll get a good poem we, we could get some emotion and some historical context through a poem and i'll i'll make it look good i'll shoot some nice hawaiian stuff and i'll make it look good <laughs> you know like easy money easy money i was like yeah and then so uh we start coordinating and um, like the week before I flew down to Hawaii, I was getting everything ready and I stopped hearing from her. And so I'm like, we're going back, I'm reaching out and I'm not, not hearing anything back. And then so I reached out to Kaleva, the Smithsonian guy. I'm like, yo, like I'm not hearing back from this artist, uh, but I'm already flying back. Like, what do we do? And so he said, ah, you know, don't worry about it. If you hear back, you hear back. But let me reach out to some people and get, let me get you some interviews. And we'll just record the interviews and see what we get. And so I get a follow-up email like days later and with a list. He's like, oh, these people have said yes. And I'm looking at the list and I'm like, oh, my God, this is like primary source for every angle you could take this. Uh, the political science, like the political sci uh, science uh, of the occupation, primary source, you know, the, the history of the newspapers and the team that's being translated, that's translating the newspapers, the head guy, uh, the, the main activist who, you know, like was arrested for speaking Hawaiian in court. Like it's, it was like a beefed up, and I'm like looking at this list, like this is not gonna be some five minute thing. Like I'm gonna take the interviews, like this is an amazing experience. I'm gonna take the interviews and just get as much information as possible. But I don't know how we're gonna do this in five minutes. But so we we take, I take the interviews, I fly back to Hawaii, and then I go to Hawaii Island, the Big Island. I do some interviews there. I fly through to Maui, do interviews there. And then I end up again in Oahu. I do some interviews there. And all of them, yeah, like I said, source material, the professors at their colleges to, you know, in, in their field in terms of like, you know, the professor who his research specifically covers land title and the transition of the kingdom over to the U.S. in terms of land title. Where you know I'm talking to the number one people, and um, it was like I was getting all of their information all at once, and having to kind of process that because I I chose not to do much research outside of what I already knew. 
I, I kind of know more than I feel like the average person, but it, that's not saying much because I feel like most of the Hawaiian history that we learn in Hawaii, even though we have one quarter requirement in high school, that one quarter is during soft is during our sophomore year, which I, I don't remember my sophomore year. I don't know who remembers their sophomore year in high school. And it's like, it's, it's, it's really more, it's like pre-Hawaiian kingdom era. And it's during the dough pineapple days. Those are like the two, and we skip 18, early 1800s all the way to when Hawaii was overthrown in 1893. Like we almost go a hundred years of not learning of what the Hawaiian kingdom was, but we're specifically pointed to pre, pre-kingdom and post-kingdom. And, you know, some of us question that, some of us don't, but we're just never taught that. But so those of us who are like kind of educated in or are aware of the overthrow, even that is kind of like uh, talking points. Like, oh, the, you know, the queen was imprisoned in the, her own palace and the U.S. overthrew the government and Hawaii was annexed and Hawaii became... It's just, you say the, the main milestones, but there's no, like, the nuance is lost. The details are lost. And so um, I, outside of those milestones, I didn't, I didn't do much research because I was like, these are primary resources. I, they're going to, let me just sit back and have them tell me the story, you know, and, and especially I felt that coming from that, I could be more conversational instead of like, I felt like if I was um, researched then I would have bullet points and I would be looking more towards the bullet points than actually listening. And so, uh, I, I, I kind of started all my interviews with the basic question of like asking, asking them, you know, if we were to tell the story about why Hawaiians don't speak Hawaiian in 2018, where does that story start? And so that question was able to let them begin and let them cover however they wanted. And they beautifully came at it from their own expertise. And so I was able to understand it at all these different, you know, from all these different angles and levels, but even just having the raw footage of it, I didn't know what I had. Like it was mind blowing because I knew the information, but I didn't know what I had. You know what I mean? Uh, it, it was a, a crazy unplugging of the matrix moment. Uh, the context of it, because it, it, it hits you in different, I've been screening it mostly through academia, like they're showing it at UH, University of Hawaii now. The, the professors who are in the, the documentary are showing it in their classes. They're using it um, to, as a teaching tool over at Kamehameha Schools, the high school, the Hawaiian high school. So I know it's growing, the, it, it as a tool definitely is growing. And so I released it in three easy to kind of consume episodes so that, uh, because the information just needs to be out there, you know, like, the, I think the, the big thing that the documentary kind of uncovers is that is really relevant into what's going on in the world today is we're seeing how powerful media and controlling the narrative is. And I mean, and this goes back to really everything, even back to the article in, in back, going back to the acronym, you know, API, like it's controlling the narrative is very powerful. And the two ways we control that narrative, especially in the U.S. or I mean, in the world, really, is education and religion. That's how you control information. And so, what we're what we see now, especially in the U.S., is the control of information through education, and how that has affected. You know, I mean, this is the first year in the history of the country that the U.S. celebrates Juneteenth. Right? You know what I mean? Like it's. And people don't know about it. And, but you see more things like that where the education system has controlled what we learn. And even, you know, the, the work assignments that people are posting that show slavery as this, and even the contact of Native Americans and the pilgrims as this beautiful thing, and they live together in harmony. And, you know, it, it's, it's, 
it's powerful to control the narrative. And so what the documentary uncovers is that the narrative pretty much 100% about Hawaii up until only recently has been controlled by the very men who overthrew the country. And the only reason why we are becoming aware of this now is because we've uncovered Hawaiian language newspapers that has been hidden away and only been found like in 1999. So, or like really been uncovered and started to be, but I think we first started to hear about it in the 70s. But there were, but what we were finding is that, you know, Hawaii had this amazing government with this legislature and judicial system and this uh, uh, universal suffrage and, you know, uh, you could move there from any place in the world and get citizenship and, you know, uh, but we're seeing a very different world told through the newspapers. And the newspapers back then kind of functioned like a community, like Reddit. It wasn't like a top down, here's the news, right? It was, uh, there's genealogy in there. You know, you see Cinderella translated in there. You see current events overseas and and you see songs it they used it as because everything was passed down prior to to the written language through song and dance and story they saw the newspapers as a technology to be like okay we don't have to remember this this is a place where we could upload our information and all of that information hasn't been accessed because one after the overthrow uh, the language is banned in schools, so everybody stops speaking Hawaiian. You're beaten if you speak the language. So, you know, not only do you hide the newspapers, but if your population finds the newspapers, they can't read it. You know what I mean? And so, within only the last 10 to 15 years, do we have um, scholars uh, who speak the language, enough scholars who speak the language, who could translate, go, th they're combing through the newspapers, translating them. And my documentary, Language of a Nation, is the first documentary uh, and just piece to cover the narrative told through the newspapers and not through, you know, what we have found is all the history books was commissioned by the men who overthrew the kingdom. And they did it deliberately so to, spoiler alert, to reflect an annexation that never happened. And they use that education process to kind of tell the population that you didn't build the government, the judicial system, the legislature, you didn't build this, we brought this to you. And so you see that's why in the history books they only pointed to, oh, see when you were living in huts? And then, oh, now Dole, Dole plantations, this is all you guys are, you know, so lucky. So we're, we're only having that hundred year span of the kingdom era. Uh, told to us through the, you know, uncovered through the newspapers only now. And so that's kind of, when you watch the documentary, it's kind of like a, a, an unplugging of the matrix moment because you kind of see just how deep it was. Like, like the guy who wrote the, the laws of the territory of Hawaii, because we, we, we know that Hawaii became a territory before a state. But we don't know that the, the man who changed all the laws from the kingdom era to the territory, they brought in the second grandmaster of the Ku Klux Klan to do that. You know, so, so it's uh, a lot changes into the territory period of what the Hawaiian kingdom was. And so education did a lot to erase that. Education did a lot to paint the picture that, oh, you're so lucky. You're so lucky that the US came and gave you civilization. But what was tragic and what you'll see in the documentary is what, what I found tragic and uh, was no matter how much I edited it, like I felt, still felt something was seeing how much the people fought back to retain the country. Uh, they, you know, they, there's a petition that gets to Congress and Congress votes against annexation, you know, so you see them vote you see them fight politically there's a there's a rebellion so you see them fight like uh militarily so but there it's like it's trying everything that they can 
but it, at the end of the day, it's the control of the education and the newspapers, you know, that that kind of did it in. And it's like everything goes back to that the power of the control of the narrative. And uh, yeah, whenever you, whenever everyone gets a chance, check out documentary language of a nation. First three episodes are out, and then um, I'm holding out on the fourth episode because that'll be a part of when the feature, when I make the feature, the full-length feature. And that'll wrap everything up in terms of, okay, now that we know this, we know this history of Hawaii, uh, what now? Because it's, you can't unsee it. It's a weird thing. I've been having a hard time kind of like pumping up this documentary, but not pumping it up, but pumping it up because it's so unplugging of the matrix. Like when that moment happens, you'll see. So, so you and you'll understand why it's such a weird thing to be like of course as a filmmaker i'm going to be like watch my doc but no yo watch it though because it's kind of fucking blow your mind like i can't it feels weird because i feel like i have to say that but i don't want you know what i mean but i'm just saying <laughs> when, you, when you get a chance because it's i can't like that that matrix moment and that that was something kind of hard to live with for not hard to live with, but hard to know and be like, oh my, going through the footage, editing it and knowing, as I start to realize what I had and knowing what it's gonna be, that anxiety of like, oh my God, I, I know it's gonna take me months and years to get to where I know where I, like, I knew early, I felt like what it could be, but I didn't know how to get there. And uh, I was, I, I'm just excited about seeing it this with, other people and seeing what people, you know, how people, uh, how it relates to people. Because I feel like, yeah, it's a Hawaiian story, but it's so relative in terms of what's going on, in terms of people fighting for their voice, in terms of people fighting for representation. Like, you know, the documentary takes you, literally takes you on this time warp to a little kingdom in the Pacific trying to fight for their country and doing everything that they can. And, you know, because you're so away from everything, you know, it just kind of gets, everything gets kind of lost, you know, gets lost through the cracks. But uh, it's, it, it's, it's like a story of, you know, all of that, the, the representation that's going on today, the, that fight, the, the fight for the voice, the, uh, yeah, the, the importance of retaining your language. I know, you know, that's, I feel like, especially in this country, that's a big, you know, that's a conversation in, you know, the Asian community, the Pacific Islander community, like all in terms of, oh, how much do you retain, you know, your language, you know, of, in terms of the younger generation versus the older generation. I feel like I, I've, I've had a lot of um, feedback in terms of people who've watched, like not from Hawaii, who've watched the doc and you know the doc makes them want to learn their language again you know it gives you back that pride and it gives you back th that pride and connection you know and almost that responsibility to know where you come, came from and learn where you came from and i one exciting one thing that's super exciting that i can't wait to like experience and talk to people about is uh and it's going to be lost in terms of the viewers not from Hawaii versus the viewers from Hawaii is uh, like you if you need a unless you're from Hawaii you don't understand how much in the dark we were kept and deliberately so in terms of the information in the past it was like nobody was nobody was talking about it like our our aunts our family you know friends of family they all come it literally comes from an era of you know the less you know the better and people say that just don't ask oh what happened don't don't ask just don't talk about it you know it, it's come from and i'm and you know every culture almost many cultures have you know those generations you know especially like when everything's transitioning with from imperialism to colonization through modern, you know what I mean? Like you have these 
eras of that generation of like, just don't ask. My generation and the generation before you went through some shit. <laughs> you know, like, yes, don't ask. Um, but just having to accept. And this, this doc I've seen, uh, I've been told, fills in a lot of those holes in terms of history, in terms of, you know, uh, what my grandparents' generation was told. You know, watching this doc with my grandmother was crazy just because, you know, she, uh, there are parts where she's just yelling at the screen like, yes, yes, that's what they did, yes. And you're just like, oh my goodness, like this is, so the older generation, I think the younger generation is going to have the same um, uh, reaction as somebody not from Hawaii. Like, oh, that's cool. That's insightful. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. That's horrifying. That's such a sad story. Like that, like the, you know, that kind of arc, but you growing up from Hawaii, you're going to be like, holy shit, we were lied to. Like it, like there, you, it's, it's, it's a thing that you can't see. And there's going to, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be a degree of that, you know, for people not from Hawaii in terms of like, whoa, all I learned about Hawaii was Pearl Harbor. You know, like that's what I get with most people, you know? So um, it, it's, it's gonna be an eye opener for many different reasons. Episodes one and two kind of sets it up. And I think it kind of is like a stroll through the park and kind of makes you like, oh, this is nice. That's insightful. I didn't know that. And then episode three takes all of that and puts it into context of what happened now and how Hawaii became a part of the US. Episode three is the overthrow episode. We talk about the overthrow and the, the after effects of that. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely something that you can't unsee. It's one of those things. And I'm interested in, interested in even hearing um, the, the people who are gonna come out against it. Cause I, I felt I'm, I feel I pretty, made it pretty airtight. I try to make it, as airtight of a documentary as I could because it's the first of its kind, you know? I know one little thing is gonna be like, oh, well, you know, <laughs> that, that's why this hasn't been talked about before. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I worked on it for two years and it was kind of like, it, it always evolved. Like at one point it was one long thing. And then at one point I was like, okay, maybe I'll do it episodically. But I was like, I don't know how to do it episodically. I like, how do I split it up? Like what, like it, if you watch it now, it seems so natural. Like, of course I should have split it up that way. But I was thinking so linearly, like timeline wise. And so, uh, and it, there's just so much good stuff to where I was just like, okay, we got to, they're talking about land here, but I really like that we need to know that and that's connected somehow, but we need to keep it around language. So I was like, do I just keep this around language and do I make another video where we talk about everything else politically? Like, but, but it connects, like everything has, so I was just trying to figure out how to make everything connect and make it, make it keep it entertaining and palatable. Um, what was a challenge and is what took so long. And it wasn't until oddly, uh, recently um the michael jordan documentary it wasn't until the michael jordan documentary that i was like it, it kind of clicked like the uh because if you watch the, the michael jordan documentary every episode they don't go they don't necessarily go it's episodic but they don't necessarily follow it through a timeline like linearly every episode is a different theme and they go back like so one episode is just Michael Jordan and then they tell the story the whole story then from Michael Jordan's point of view then one episode is from Phil Jackson then one episode is from Scottie Pippen but they always go back and I was just like okay duh let, let me do that with uh let me not try to just tell one long linear story from beginning to end let me okay first episode became language and uh literacy and newspapers and then second episode became how uh, the monarchy was established and how they were actually, when after first contact, they were learning all this stuff from the missionaries about the outside world that they started to send their royal um, lineage 
to college overseas and start they started to uh learn um political science overseas and that's how they would they would bring that information back to the kingdom and that's how uh the hawaiian kingdom was established they uh appropriated all of this west they're like this is the way i see it i'm like they're probably they're like learning oh shit this is what they're doing to native americans up there we need to like solidify ourselves in this white man law and learn that game because apparently this is this is what's going on in the streets you know <laughs> so that's what they did and they did it you know it was done successfully like police police department established fire department established education system you know uh currency was created but um uh yeah yeah <laughs> i totally digressed yeah that yeah thank you so much for sharing all of that <laughs> no no I'm, I'm i'm just excited for you to watch the doc yeah that's why for sure i i will yeah i i mean i can definitely vet the docuseries i mean as a non-hawaiian it was still super cool to see and and i know you talked about the differences in like how non-hawaiians and like hawaiians react to this but yeah i mean for a lot of people out there who just have never learned the history of the hawaiian kingdom and like this language band super important <clears throat> sorry super important to um you know, put that out there and watch your documentary. And, I, and I'll also put the link in that to the episode description so people can uh, watch that too. I think, you know, you have it on your YouTube and also on the Smithsonian website. So yeah, I'll attach one of those links so people can watch. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I can resend you the um, link because I have a playlist that I would just play through. I'll send that to you. Uh, it's the, the videos are private, just but I'm keeping it out there just for these purposes in terms of like, you know, for people to watch and for uh, educational purposes, but we've just privated the videos so that people just can't search just so that it's easier for me to like make the feature and then shop that after. But yeah, just so people aren't like, well, I tried to search it, you know, and it's like, oh yeah, you can't search it, but through the link, you could, you could watch it. Awesome. Um, one question that I have, it's kind of like, something that I personally want to know, but I'm wondering, like, do you feel like we, we as in like American entertainment industry will ever get to a place where they're not whitewashing characters? Uh, no, <laughs> but I think we'll get to a point where there are more uh, representation behind doing, you know, telling stories correctly. And that's kind of just something that I've, I mean, hopefully I'm wrong, but even with what I see, because I'm just going off of um, movies being made in like, you know, about Hawaii and just, yeah, like you said, the whitewashing of characters. I feel, what I see is like, at the end of the day, they're going to, these, these stories haven't been told and they're untapped and I feel like there's always going to be someone either uh, tone deaf or they don't care who just want, who sees the economic value. And let's tell this beautiful story in Hawaii about another tourist who falls in love with a local girl, you know, <laughs> in, in, but let's, but it's Emma Stone. I don't know, but you know what I mean? It's, yeah. <laughs> it's there's always going to be that. You know, I don't think, and in every industry, there's every facet of, there's always going to be somebody with access who either is tone deaf or doesn't care and just sees the economics of it, you know? And I've, I've come to a place in my life and in my career where I feel it's more efficient and easier on my soul to fight and be the example of representation than to just no like don't you know fight that fight because i'm like they're gonna do it anyway they're they're they don't care you know what i mean like i i hope i hope that they have best intentions but that's going to happen i'm not i don't want to put a radar out and just kind of like you know look look for every bit of misrepresentation and 
now that's time away from me actually creating. Now that was my that, that was my dissertation. That's the heart of my dissertation. I was like, I don't want to ramble for 70 pages on this movie got it wrong, that movie got it wrong, this movie got it wrong. Well, I just show you how it's done right. And so um I've kind of I've kind of and taking that approach to you know that that era in terms of oh is any are we gonna stop whitewashing? I feel I feel like they're trying at least because um that what people don't realize outside of the industry when uh when that Oscars that Oscar so white th that year happened the voters uh the Academy voters now who are the the people who are voting the best <laughs> the best film in the world you know uh, the the breakdown with it was the stats was uh over ninety percent of them were white men and over sixty percent of those white men were over sixty, so it's like <laughs> yeah yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't let that guy pick movie night Friday like <laughs> you know and I didn't realize the impact of that until um I got the opportunity to talk with one of the voters one of the voters was my, is my good friend's uh, landlord. And so we were just talking about, uh, you know, the voting, it was like that year. And uh, he, I remember it, it, was, it was specifically Beasts of No Nation. I don't know if you didn't see that, it's a great film, Idris Ilba, it's on Netflix. Deals with child soldiers, but um, in Africa, but it was just an amazing film all around and such an Oscar like if you see it the content some of the scenes the performances the the topics the themes it's so like they're going for an Oscar <laughs> you know like but it's deservingly so but uh talking with this voter you know I I brought that up and I was just like you know he was naming all these these movies that he were he was favoring and I was just like oh what about Beasts and Donations and he just looked at me and he was just kind of like ah and it's not for me and just kind of like kept on going. And then I was just like, what a, it was just such a weird, like a quirky, like it wasn't overtly racist, but it kind of was like, oh, you just like, is it because you've never had to relate to somebody who doesn't look like you? Like, why is it so easy? Because the, the films that you, he was naming was just so, not mediocre, but it was just like obvious, you know, like, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, La La Land's gonna win. <laughs> like, you know, like it was like a little beast of no nation. Like they're doing some shit. Like, yeah. so, but just kind of like that conversation, which kind of was like, oh, and it, that capped off with him saying, ah, oh, it's not for me. Which, in my mind, my response, how I responded to that statement in my mind was like, oh, I guess the Oscars isn't for me then. So, uh, I that kind of released me from the need to be a part even of that, uh, you know, people are like, I wanna win an Oscar or like, yeah, it'd be nice to, but it, it, that opens up the conversation of why does that validate our art? Why does that validate our work? Why does it, it, it hinge on a population of 90% white men, 60% of them over 60 years old, you know? And but that's what it was. That's what Oscar so white at Oscar so white. That was the voters. They've since done better. There's like programs trying to get more voters in, but it, it's still it's not as bad as ninety sixty. It's probably more like high seventies, eighties, like maybe fifty some. I don't know. It's still it's still like not. But to 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 be like. Hollywood's never gonna be whitewashed. I don't. I don't know about that. Is the world not gonna have racism? I don't know, man. <laughs> like, like we could make individual efforts. You know, I, I think, uh, and you know, things that we could do. But as an industry, that that's just a hard thing. You know, they're gonna make. They're they're gonna make the adjustments that they can, but at the end of the day open market people are going to make what they want so i was like i'm just going to make what i want <laughs> and hopefully that there's enough people one day to drown out the noise you know
but until then, that's why it's their perception of us. It's yeah. like we're just going off of that perception. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, okay, so is it okay if we move on to the rapid fire questions? Oh yeah, no, do it, do it. Okay. I'm sorry. No, it's totally okay. Th thank you again for coming on, sharing all of this. Like, it's just so cool to be able to just like talk to you and have you just like share your story and all your work and stuff. So no problem. Thank no, you. thank you for reaching out again. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So these rapid fire questions are five super quick, whatever comes to your mind first. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. All right. First, if you could have any career besides the one you have now, what would it be? Ah, uh, oh, adventure racer. <laughs> what? <laughs> I just I just started watching this um, show on Amazon Prime. It's called World's Toughest Race. It's uh, you know Bear Grylls, that survival guy. Yeah. So uh, it's his show, and it's just this crazy. Apparently, there's this thing called ad adventure races, where it's teams of four. And they train you around. It's like the Olympics, but it, it, there's teams of four from different countries, and it's this race happens once a year, and it's just like this season, uh, the one on Amazon Prime. It's in Fiji, and it's like you're paddling. It 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 eats triathlon triathlons, like so you're paddling and you're climbing a wall and you're climbing. It's just a nonstop race, and you your team has to either just navigate to these checkpoints and just decide do we sleep here for the night or do we continue to the next checkpoint and it's an 11 day race and people just train and do this and i and it's just it's, i was just like oh my god i would totally do this if, <laughs> <laughs> like they're they're paddling and then they're climbing and they're hiking around and then they got to go diving and then they got to climb a mountain and then it's grueling and it's tiring but i was just like it, it looks fun I was like, if they're getting paid, and if this, because they're saying, oh, this is our 30th year doing the race. There, there are a couple of teams who are like, oh, I've been doing this for 30 years. You know, the, the New Zealand team is the reigning champions. So they're like actual athletes. I don't know in terms of sponsorships. I don't know. But I'd be like, I would totally do that. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Go for it. Check it out. <laughs> Okay. World's wow. toughest race on Amazon Prime. But I just started watching that this past weekend. And so like, yeah, that's the first thing that came to my mind. That's great. That that's great. That looks awesome. <laughs> All right. Next question. What is your favorite dessert? Uh, custard pie from Hawaii with vanilla ice cream. I didn't realize custard pie is more or less a Hawaii thing because it's up here, the custard is more of like a flan. But when I went, but it's a Hawaii thing because it's something that was made in Hawaii because they used the, the Chinese custard with a nice crust. So it's like, it, it's an interesting thing that I, when I found out that I couldn't find custard pie in Los Angeles. And then when I finally found a place who knew what it was, they're like, oh, that's only in Hawaii. So I was just like, oh. I say that because custard pie, man. and a, Scoop of vanilla ice cream and you're good. Maybe a chantilly cake, maybe a cream puff. Oh man, you got me going down. Yes. You got me going down the, the dessert list now. Okay, we'll stop that cream puff. Okay. <laughs> going off of that, what is your favorite Hawaiian tradition? Mm. Uh, contemporary tradition, New Year's. Hawaii people go off on New Year's. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't know why. Like, they you pop fireworks. It, it's it's the whole island pops fireworks, even though it's illegal. It looks like you're in a fishbowl of just light. It's crazy, oh. and so that that's been a tradition that for as long as I remember, you, you New Year's is a family thing. You go to your family's house, you eat a big dinner, and you just pop fireworks all night, and it becomes as you get closer to midnight, it becomes like show off. Who who got the best fireworks? And everybody just goes off at midnight. You see the illegal aerials and like the 
And as a kid, you're just popping poppers and just doing sparklers and doing that all night with your cousins. So, and that's another thing you, I didn't realize was a Hawaii thing until I moved to Seattle for college. And up here, it's like a party thing. Everybody goes out like to bars and clubs for New Year's. And I was just like, oh no, it's a family thing in Hawaii. <laughs> like we go with the family and we eat and fire fireworks. And so like, I always loved that about going to Hawaii um traditional tra- a step back more in the traditional is la hoi hoi ea which is uh uh it's when hawaii first gained its independence um so that's our independence day and uh traditionally traditionally even more further back than that is a season called makahiki season which i kind of feel that the world is in now, but it's Makahiki season was way back in like tra- traditional days where um, you, everything is, a lot of things are kapu, a lot of things are banned, like war is banned. So like neighboring tribes don't fight. You don't, uh, like you don't hunt, you don't fish. It's, it's, a, it's nothing but they call the Makahiki game. So the tribes would come and they do sport. Uh, so there's sporting events going on, com- competitive things. Um, you don't fish and you don't hunt. Like there's a couple on these certain things because it's a time where you give the land to replenish. And so in, in that respect, like you, you, you let the fish replenish. You, you let all of these, you let the earth replenish. And that's why I've, it's, and it's just this artful non-war replenishing season that happens called the Makahiki season. And uh, I kind of feel that in, there's some elements of that going on right now. Mm. But yeah, there you go, three different traditions. Great, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next, where do you want to be in 10 years? Uh, I want Taika Waititi's career, man. <laughs> like, what he's been able to do with, um, being able to independently tell island stories, like if you watch like Boy or Hunt for the Wilder People or like any of his New, New Zealand films, uh, he's very much representing the islands to his films. And he's legit enough to freaking go do Marvel movies. So he's just going back and forth and doing that stuff. And now, you know, now that he's at that level, you see him opening up, you know, his production company and opening up these opportunities for um, Pacific Islander stories. So uh, I would like to be the Hawaiian version of him, like the Hawaiian Taika Waititi, the Hawaiian Spike Lee, John Singleton, you know, telling those type of stories. Spike Lee has a pretty sweet gig in terms of, I mean, before this, he's teaching he's teaching film at NYU and doing his films. You know, between that, teaching at UH would be cool and doing films in between that. But I don't know, you know what I mean? It's Ten years, a lot could happen, but definitely Taika is the career trajectory. Yeah, that's a good goal to have. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And final question, do you have any advice for any Polynesian or Pacific Islander filmmakers or creatives out there? Um, I think it could be said, I mean, for really any anybody wanting to get into film is just like just create i think technology has democratized filmmaking i think i feel it has democratized so many things i mean you're doing this podcast with the technology that you have you know five ten years ago you you couldn't do that Uh, especially in the film industry when five ten years ago or even traditionally you know again the, the narrative the information it's controlled through hollywood but you know we have this which is a you know a camera you could write you could shoot you could edit you could post on YouTube, you could literally create anything you want with you know the tools that we have. So as much as you know, I don't I don't know everyone's circumstances, so I, I don't I try not to say you know uh, no excuse <laughs> no excuses, but really no excuses. If you want to create something, you can at least start, and that everyone has to start somewhere and it's just a matter of you know 
keep on being able to, or having the patience to keep you, keep doing it. And so you get better and your stories get better, your production value gets better, but it really just starts with, you know, making something. Like you'd have, you'd be surprised at how hard that is. Like even when you have the equipment. So if you're a creative waiting, like, oh, if I had that camera, then I'd make something. If I had that lens, I'd make something. Like that game is never gonna end. <laughs> so you need to get over that hump because that's gonna be there at every level. So if you really want to create something, create, you know. Great advice. Awesome. Just do it, Nike. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Conrad. Last thing before you go, um, where can people reach out to you if uh, they're interested in um, watching, seeing your work, or asking you any questions about things we've talked about in this episode? Um, Also, I know you kind of plugged your new project, but any new projects uh, that you want to share or plug again? So uh, I'm pretty easy to find Conrad Lihi Lihi, C-O-N-R-E-D, L-I-H-I squared, Lihi squared. And uh, I'm the only Conrad Lihi Lihi. So you can just Google that and everything will pop up. Uh, uh, My YouTube, my website, is conradlihilihi.com. Uh, my Instagram and Twitter are all at clihilihi. And I'm pretty easy to find and reach out to. Yeah, Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, <laughs> all the same. Yeah. Say Thank what's you. up. <laughs> Thank you. No problem. No problem. Thank you. Thank you. Hey y'all, it's Angel Rena here. I hope you really enjoyed this second part of my conversation with Conrad. Um, please, please, please go and check out his new docuseries, Language of a Nation. Um, again, really hammering this home. The link is in the episode description wherever you're listening to this podcast. Um, you can also search um, Language of a Nation and you can find it on the Smithsonian uh, Institute website. And also, if you search up Conrad Lee Lee on YouTube, uh, click on his page, his YouTube page, um, you'll be able to find the playlist there as well. But I've also attached links to Conrad's article, Dear Asian Americans Stop Erasing Pacific Islanders, his website, and his new film, The Mainland, which we'll be preparing later this year. Um, But my announcement that I mentioned at the very beginning of this episode is that from now on, I think that Homecoming will be a platform dedicated to Asian plus, or in other words, Asian, Asian American and mixed heritage Asian storytelling, um, instead of just AAPI storytelling. Um, And this is something that I've thought about a lot this past month, this, this past month, and honestly has been at the back of my mind ever since I started this podcast back in May. Um... But yeah, I mean, I talked briefly about this in uh, part one of my conversation uh, two episodes back, but I just don't feel like I'm doing enough justice for all of the amazing Pacific Islander um, people, stories, uh, cultures, activists, etc. by not giving them my full attention and effort on this podcast. And I think by using the term AAPI and really just like lumping together Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders, I just don't feel like I'm able to fully capture the heart and the history and like the entirety of both groups. And like, that's just impossible. I mean, like even just for Asian Americans, it's impossible. Um, and I mean, like to, 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 to walk you guys through a bit of my thought process, I was thinking like, oh, I maybe like still want to feature various Pacific Islanders in the future on the podcast as well, you know, and like talk about various ways and issues in which the two large groups intersect like I did with Conrad um, these last two episodes. But then I also like don't want homecoming to seem like an exclusive space, you know, like, oh, you can only come out to homecoming if you're, you're at least one sixteenth Asian or like you can only come on to the podcast if you're going to talk about issues that only apply to Asians or Asian Americans or something ridiculous like that. Um, so what I'm trying to say is that it's complicated and there's a lot of issues to think about, but 
out of respect to all of the amazing Polynesian, Micronesian, and Melanesian people and stories out there, I am not going to force them to be fixed into this limited term. And also, it's not like there aren't any other Pacific Islander podcasts or amazing organizations out there um, who are doing great work. Like, there are plenty, and I will link some of them in the episode description, and I will continue to uplift and spotlight them um, on my social media and homecoming social media as well. Um, And, like, I also want to give, like, a huge, huge shout-out to Conrad for writing that you know, that article of his and really bringing the issue of the term AAPI and like thinking about its potential problems, like to my attention, to the attention of so many different people, like across the country, really. Um, Yeah. So huge shout out and um, huge thanks to Conrad for doing that. But yeah, that's my announcement. Um, And Oh, another quick thing. Sorry, this is becoming really long, but I want to make sure you guys are updated on what's going on behind the scenes of homecoming. But because of the chaos that is classes and school starting, I've decided that homecoming will have seasons. So season one will end at the end of this month tentatively. So we've got like two more episodes to go. And then I'm going to take a few months off to focus, you know, on classes and and also prepare for and record episodes for season two, which I think will start back up in January. Um, But yeah, that's still tentative, still working out the details. But, you know, your girl's a college student. So I hope you all um, will continue to support me and homecoming as well. And I won't leave you all completely hanging like with no content for three months. So don't worry about that. I'll still have something that I put out um, less frequently, of course, you know, not every week. Um, But don't worry, there will be content out there. Um, But yeah, I will explain all of this in more detail in my season finale episode, which will be quite short. Um, But yeah, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Um, And please follow Homecoming on all of our social media at Homecoming Pod. Uh, Please subscribe, rate us five stars, the whole shebang. So I will see you all next Saturday with an episode with the organization Yellies for Pakistan. But until then, I hope you all have a great week.